Morning, Barry. We mentioned our uh, high school graduates last Sunday. We have a few college graduates. I don't know if Brian is back yet. He may be actually graduating today, but Brian Osborne, Brady Rollins, soon to be Wharton. It's good to see you. Congratulations. Um, and then also Lydia. Where's Lydia? Lydia? Did she just graduate? Okay, so Lydia Carrick from her um, degree program as well, um, grad degree program. So congratulations to those folks. Also, just to encourage you to pray for, continue to pray for Wayne Ho. Um, pray that the Lord would strengthen him in his inner man for the trial that he's undergoing right now. Had the, tra- the stem cell transplant on Friday. Um, I think Al is up with him right now. Alice is with him. So continue to pray for, for him. Okay, well, we are going to finish up Luke chapter 12 today. That's the plan. And then after Luke 12, um, the plan is to take a little hiatus from Luke for a few weeks to do a little series under the title of Resting and Running. Okay, so we're going to look at Matthew 11, 28 to 30, probably for two weeks. There's a lot in there. Um, And then also Hebrews 4 and 12. So the, the themes of running and resting and how those things um, work together in the Christian life is going to be the focus of the next few weeks. Uh, but this morning, like I said, we're going to finish Luke 12. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, we'll read the text that we're going to study this morning. It's found on page 1039 if you're using um, Bible in the pew in front of you. So Luke chapter 12, verses 49 to 59. On the, on the heels of this, be dressed in readiness, keep your lamps lit, be ready, that we looked at last week, Jesus now says in verse 49, I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you, no, but rather division. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And he was also saying to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming. And so it turns out. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say, it will be a hot day. And it turns out that way. You hypocrites. You know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not analyze this present time? And why do you not even on your own initiative judge what is right? For while you are going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate, on your way there, make an effort to settle with him so that he may not drag you before the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. I say to you, you will not get out of there until you have paid the very last cent. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Blood and fire. Happy Mother's Day, okay? So this is the text as we walk systematically through the book of Luke. This is our our next text. 
Um, I'm not always going to pull out for Mother's Day or Father's Day. Sometimes I will and do a, a text specifically suited. But I actually think this text is very specifically suited for this day that we don't have to um, be governed by, but it's a good thing. I think there is providence in this because you know what? We do not live in a greeting card world. Our nice, fuzzy, warm Mother's Day greeting card sentiments and sermons sometimes aren't going to fly in Saudi Arabia or in Indonesia where mothers literally do betray their newly converted daughters to the religious authorities or where sons report and sometimes even participate in putting one of their parents to death after a conversion. Well, you could say, well, we don't live in Saudi Arabia or Indonesia, but there's dangers here too. Danger of idolizing our children, the danger of fearing our children and caving into their will rather than following God's will. The issue of allegiance. Who has our allegiance? It's not just an issue for big moments like betraying or being betrayed to authorities. It's also an issue that works itself out in a lot of very ordinary everyday moments. And they are just as important as the big moments. In fact, the manner in which you and I will walk through the big moments is actually dictated by the manner in which we walk through the little moments. So we need to keep first things first. Jesus said, seek the kingdom. As we looked at that recently in chapter 12. We need to, as Peter puts it, sanctify Christ Jesus as Lord in our hearts. He needs to have preeminence. He's got to be first. We can't have any other gods or saviors before him. That issue is of utmost importance every day of our lives. So let's pray, and then we will study this text together. Lord, I pray that you would help us. I think we oftentimes live in such a way and even in the church talk in such a way that a text like this is is jarring and abrasive and maybe it seems out of place. But Lord, this is a good word. This is a good warning from you. It's loving. It's wise. It's for our good, and I pray that we would see that it's very much where we live every day. And we need it. We need this. So, Lord, show us our need and meet our need in Christ. And strengthen us. Help us to have no other gods, no other saviors beside you. Pray that you would be our our Lord, our Master. We would gladly be your disciples. Pray that we would not want to be enslaved or governed or ruled by anyone or anything else, mere creatures or created things. 
I pray that we would want to be ruled and governed by you, our true creator and true savior. And with that in place, show us how everything else finds its proper place in relation to you. So help us, teach us, shape us by your word, by your spirit, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so did Jesus come to bring peace on earth? Of course, right? The angels said so. We're going to flip around a little bit, so hope that will help you keep awake rather than cause you to check out. Um, Luke 2, so you can see it. It's the same kind of language as we have here in Luke 12. So this is an apparent contradiction. We need to deal with this. What's going on here? The angels at the birth of Jesus in Luke 2, 13 and 14, suddenly they appeared with the angel and multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men. Look at that. But our text says that Jesus said, do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? (laughs) Verse 51. How do we square that? Which is it? Is God speaking out of both sides of his mouth? Is Jesus pronouncing some sort of updated version of his mission? Well, you know, the angels... They tried their best, but this is really what I'm about. Do we, we understand these seemingly contradictory statements? How do we understand that? Well, did Jesus come to bring peace on earth? Yes and no. No and yes. Okay, and how so? The no is inevitable and it's temporary. The yes is indomitable, unstoppable, and it's eternal. And... The no's inevitable if he's really to pursue the fulfillment of the yes. Well, why can't we have both? Why can't we have only the yes? Why the no? Well, Jesus was a good prophet. Okay? It was the false prophets in the Old Testament that said, peace, peace, when there was no peace. Listen to this text. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So Jesus knows what it takes for true and lasting peace to be had. He's the Prince of Peace who came to make peace by the blood of his cross. His gospel is the gospel of peace. Okay, so he's all about peace. But if you will not have his peace his way, If you think that you know better than him what makes for peace, vertically, horizontally, then you're going to find yourself on the wrong side of the universe. Okay, so on this earth where sin came in and vandalized the peace, God, God originally created everything perfectly peaceful. Everything was perfect. Perfect relationship with God. Perfect relationship with other people. They were perfectly at peace with themselves. They were naked and unashamed. Nothing to hide. But sin came in, and now they're fearful and ashamed and hiding. They're not at peace with themselves. They're guilty. We know that. And then that lack of peace breaks out into relationships, and there's violence and injustice and all of that and hate and all because the vertical peace 
was broken. So, inevitably, there's going to be some who oppose God's gospel, his good news of peace, because Jesus is this fork in the road to true and lasting peace. Not everyone's going to like his prescription for peace. You've got to admit you're sick. Remember, back in Luke 5, it's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. Some people thought they were fine, which is why they opposed Jesus. You have to believe that you're unrighteous and in need of forgiveness and cleansing. Luke 5.32, I've not come to call the righteous, the supposedly righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you reject that truth about yourself, of course you're going to be an enemy of peace. So consequently, he brings division in the very process of bringing peace on earth. So he did come to bring division. Think of Zacchaeus. Just think about these different scenarios in the book of Luke. What happens? Peace to one, and he ticks off other people. (laughs) There's the prostitute that comes into the the Pharisee's dinner party. We don't like this lady. Get the riff. If he knew who she was, you know, all this whispering, he brings peace to her because she recognized her need, and the enemies are the ones that thought they were just fine. They thought they were the religious authorities. And Jesus wasn't falling in line with their purposes. Okay? So, those who refuse to have his peace will not have it. They'll be divided from those who do submit to and welcome his peace. Remember back in Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist was talking about this Messiah to come, and he said, I baptize with water, but one is coming who's mightier than I. I'm not even fit to untie the thong of his sandal. He's so much greater than me. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, positive imagery, and fire, negative imagery. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff. So there's going to be wheat that's gathered. There's going to be chaff that's burned with unquenchable fire. So did Jesus come to bring peace on earth? No and yes. And the no is necessary on the way to the yes. That one day, that yes, will one day never again be able to suffer any violence or vandalism forever. Peace on earth forever in Christ. New creation all of, the, all of the hate and all of the unrest and lack of peace and warring that has come in as a result of our sin, it's going to be completely gone. So um, remember how I went to that conference with Greg a couple of weeks ago? And there's a guy named Mac Stiles who spoke in one of the breakout sessions. I didn't attend this one. Will Metzger went to this one. Um, Todd's dad, he was with us as well. Um, But I wanted to listen to that one. And so last Saturday, I was making some pancakes for the kids, and I started listening to this this thing by Max Stiles. And this guy literally put his house up for sale the day after 9-11. And he went that way. He went east when probably a lot of people were going, like, we got to get out of here. He'd been involved in InterVarsity and uh, student ministry for a long time, um, kind of like Will. <laughs> um, so 
Anyway, he planted this church in Dubai. There's obviously serious risks for them personally. There are serious risks for anyone with whom they share Christ, and certainly anyone who accepts Christ. They've been brought before the court there. Thankfully, the time that he mentioned, they were acquitted. They were vindicated and let go. He had with him at the conference a couple whose pastor had been killed for his faith. That couple had also been brought in and interrogated just the same way that their pastor had. So they probably thought, well, this is it. But they were released for some reason. And so he had this couple with him at the conference. So then he tells the story about this man, this one man, Muhammad, okay, who came to one of their services. This is now. This is happening now. Okay? And this man came up after the service to meet Mac, who had been preaching, and he says, is that a Bible? And, and yes, and you know, you, you can have it here. And he said, I never understood that Christ took my place. So he heard the gospel, and he's visibly, obviously affected by it. And he said, you know, my father would kill me if he knew I was here. And he didn't mean figuratively. And Mac said, yes, I know. And his father did find out, and they haven't heard from him since. He was making the point that we are calling people. We personally, when we come and follow Jesus, we come and die. If anyone wants to come after me, he must take up, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Jesus. There is a cost to be paid. And especially in places like that, you may be calling someone, literally, to come and die. Now, we also need to die as well. It's different, um, not as serious as that, but we may need to die to our reputation and, and those kinds of things. Amen. They may fear the, as he said, they may fear the raised fist. We fear the raised eyebrow. But do we really believe that it's better? He's making this point. Do we believe it's better to die young in Christ than to live a full, long life and then go to hell? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe and, and think, this is, this is good. I'm so glad Jesus told us this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate, and you have to be careful with what Jesus means here, hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers, yes, even his own life, None of those things can take priority over Jesus' rightful place in our lives. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Do we believe that? We need to believe that. Because, and this is the text, this is where the text goes, where Jesus goes, Jesus came to cast fire. A day of fire is coming. Look at verse 49. I have come to cast fire upon the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. The fire that Jesus speaks of here is fire of judgment. That's imagery. Um, almost always it's speaking of judgment. Okay, it's sobering. One day, heavens are going to be burned up like it says in 2 Peter 3. You know, people will act just like the people in Noah's day you're an idiot. You, it's going to rain? Are you kidding me? You're an idiot. And then the rains came. No warning. 
In the same way, one day Jesus is going to come back, which is the text we looked at last week. Be ready. You've got to be dressed in readiness. So you can look at 2 Peter 3 later. Um, just talks about how the coming of the day of God where everything is going to be destroyed by burning and everything's going to be renewed at that time as well. But judgment before the renewal. And Jesus is saying here he wishes that the time had already come and that it had already kindled, been kindled. I mean, does that mean that God just loves to vaporize people? No. He doesn't have any delight in the death of the wicked. But this world, just look around. Do you, you feel this on a weekly basis? It is so wrong and broken, filled with sin and wickedness, pain, suffering, death, injustice. So Jesus is eagerly anticipating the day of final and forever renewal when everything's going to be made new. No more suffering and brokenness and wrong and pain. But it's only going to come through fire, so we've got to be ready. Jesus is warning us because our God is a consuming fire. Okay, remember Deuteronomy? Watch yourselves that you do not forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a graven image in the form of anything against which the Lord your God has commanded you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So who can stand in his presence if he's a consuming fire? Who can stand the day of his coming? How can we stand that? How can we endure that? We can't. We can't stand. Listen to how the coming of the Messiah is described in Malachi. In fact, turn there. It's the last book of the Old Testament. I said we were going to bounce around a little bit. Um, But look at Malachi 3. Just verses 1 and 2 there. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, which turns out to be John the Baptist. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. If you are honest with yourself, if you know what you have thought and said and done, are you ready to be in God's presence? Like for God to come? Imagine if he came. That's really, really sobering. Who can stand? Nobody. None of us can endure and stand that fire. But there is this little but, B-U-T, in verse 2 in our text that we passed over. Do you see it there? Look at verse 2. There's only one way that we can endure and stand that fire. It's in Christ. When we are in Him, by grace, through faith. Here's what it's like. His robes of righteousness. When, when he takes our place on the cross, when we trust in him, what happened on that cross is our sin, all of, we, we bring nothing to the table but debt. He took our penalty, our guilt, our sin, our shame, all of that on the cross, and he gives us his righteousness, the great exchange. 
He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, that's the gospel. So when we are in him, his robes of righteousness that cover our sin and our shame that he paid for, they're like an asbestos suit without the ensuing cancer, okay? So his righteous robes are like an asbestos suit when he comes a second time to set the world on fire and make all things new. So look at verse 50. Look at this little phrase that begins with but, B-U-T. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed, actually it's probably better to translate that how consumed or totally governed I am by this until it is accomplished. Okay, that's a key word. He's here to do something, to do some work and the work that he's going to accomplish is dying on the cross in our place for our sins. Later on in Luke, it says, Behold, he's talking to his disciples, we're going up to Jerusalem and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. What was accomplished? What's this baptism? What was accomplished was that Jesus passed through the fire. He passed through the consuming fire judgment of God in our place so that we wouldn't have to. Turn to Isaiah 43. This is really sweet stuff. Isaiah 43. It's on page 725 if you're using the Pew Bible. Just just think, this was written hundreds of years before Jesus came. And just, just think about how this speaks so specifically of him and what he's accomplishing, or what he accomplished. But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You're mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire... You will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Why? Not because you're so good in and of yourself, not because of your righteousness, but because I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Look at verse 4. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, That's why he came. That's why he went through the fire for us. Because his people are precious in his sight. They're honored and he loves them. He loves you. So he went through the fire so that we wouldn't have to go through the fire. This is the gospel. The fire is coming, but we can be rescued from it if we are in Christ, if we're trusting in him as our Savior. It's like an asbestos suit. That is sweet stuff. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned because he was consumed for you so that you wouldn't have to be. And then you know what happens? Is that any suffering, any trial that that we do undergo, rather than being punishment, it ends up being purifying. So the fire 
for people who are in Christ, it actually just burns away the impurities and we come forth as gold. Isn't that great? Because all of the consuming fire has already been taken for us. So that fire is only a refining fire for us. Amen. So this is really, really sweet. And yet, again, just to let the text speak to us, Jesus is inevitably, inescapably, undeniably a fork in the road for every human being. He is the sword that divides the people of the world. So where Jesus goes from here, verses 54 to 59, it can seem a little confusing on the face, but basically what he's saying is, come on, pay attention, read the signs, and get ready, settle now. Look at verses 54 to 59. He was also saying to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say a shower is coming, and so it turns out. When you see a south wind blowing, you say it'll be a hot day, and it turns out that way. You hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky. We don't know how to do that anymore. We just hit weather on like the weather app or we go to weather.com or whatever. We don't know how to read this anymore, but it's, it's, the point still holds. Okay? You know how to read that. Why don't you analyze the present time? Why don't you listen to what I'm saying as far as getting ready? And then verses 57 can be, 57 to 59 can be really confusing because it can seem like why did he go from these ultimate issues and getting ready for his return to such a kind of an everyday pedestrian illustration? Seems like minor stuff on the heels of such serious stuff. That's not what's going on. This is actually a, like an illustration of his point. Okay, so David Gar- Garland summarizes it well. He says, Jesus is not giving mundane advice about how to avoid going to court or jail. With the coming judgment, the audience is in dire straits and does not know it. In this parabolic warning, warning that's in the form of a parable, an illustration, what the secular judge will do in a lawsuit is what God will do in the judgment. So if you're not trusting Christ, are you paying attention to these warnings that Jesus is giving? Now's the time to read the signs, pay attention, and settle now. You can't pay this debt. Only Jesus can pay it for you. You can't handle the coming fire. Only in Christ can you pass through the fire. So the call is repent and believe, trust in Jesus now. Okay, so we may be wise to reading the weather signs, but we might be foolish in reading the most important and ultimate signs of all. Okay, so that applies to anyone who might be here this morning that's not trusting in Jesus. This is coming. This is not just... You know, this isn't a game. This is real. Jesus really is returning. But for those of us who are believers, maybe many or most of us in the room, what is the message of this passage for us? Well, I think a central message is that blood, capital B, Jesus' blood, is thicker than blood. Okay, you know the expression blood is thicker than water. You know what it means. Although that one also in our day and age is a lot different than times when family was a real central um, building block of society and there was much more allegiance um, and heritage maybe than there is today. But anyway, the saying, we still understand what it means. Okay, but the blood of Jesus, the family of God, that's actually thicker than human, relational, familial, biological 
blood. We should not be surprised by this text. This kind of division is inevitable. I think this is really helpful. This is where I may be speaking to some painful situations that you're already in, you have been in, you might be in in the future. But following Jesus is not always going to be, you know, greeting card happy for moms or anybody else. So let's just be honest with reality and prepare for reality because divisions in your relationships may very well be the result of faithfulness and love, not lack of love. This is going to happen. Now, we certainly don't want divisions to be the results of our sin or our personality quirks. Let's labor to get all that out of the way. Let's work hard at living out Romans 12. You know, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. But we must seek first the kingdom. We must embrace that. Jesus has got to be Lord of our lives. He is the one to whom our primary allegiance belongs. I mean, Jesus was remarkably unsentimental with his own mother and brothers. And he's the perfectly loving God-man. So we must be too. Remember Luke 8? We looked at this a while back. His mother and brothers came to him. They were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. So who's your family? Mothers, you are disciples before you are mothers. Our lives revolve around Jesus, not around our children, as much as a lot of life revolves around our children. I understand that, okay? All the qualifications added. But this is actually the way that we best love our children or anyone else in our lives, significant relationships, by not placing them above Christ whether they respond in faith or unbelief. If someone is resisting you, you don't cave. If someone is embracing Christ, you don't allow them to become greater than Christ. This is actually what enables us to love people, whether they're running away or whether they're walking with us. I truly love them, okay? I think I might have quoted this before recently, but it bears repeating from C.S. Lewis. When I've learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed but increased. Okay, so this goes not just for mothers. This goes for all of us, for all of our closest relationships. So our allegiance to Jesus has got to trump our allegiance to all other relationships. We've got to care more about following Jesus than we do about, say, the comfort of a relationship. Okay, how many times are we tempted to compromise because it'll rock the boat if we... Stand up for the truth. It'll create some awkward dynamics, and sometimes we're tempted to cave. This text speaks to that. We've got to care more for the eternal good of our family members than our temporal family dynamic good. Have you ever paid this cost? Does this cost cause you to fear and shrink back? I know 
This is not an easy thing to do, but let's say sharing Christ with a family member is potentially going to kick up some pretty, pretty strong reactions. What's more important, the temporal peace or that they have the eternal means of peace with God, the only true peace? So the blood of Jesus is and must be thicker than our family relations blood. Do you realize this? This is actually one of the reasons Jesus came. This is integral to why he came. I came to do this. I came to bring this division. That's a hard pill to swallow, but it is not a good thing to ignore it. It's not a good thing to run away from it. This is not incidental. It's not accidental. This is intentional and purposeful. This is part of the plan, so we shouldn't be surprised, and we must be prepared. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you. We thank you that you went through the fire for us. If we could just have a glimpse like Isaiah did or John of your nature, your character, like Moses when you hid him in the cleft of the rock, if we just could begin to catch a glimpse of your awesome, consuming fire glory, we would tremble. We would be completely undone we would realize how absolutely, utterly necessary Jesus Christ going through the fire for us is. Lord, it seems far out there. It seems unreal to us, and yet you are coming back. And we've got to be ready, and you are a consuming fire. Lord, for any of us who are just playing around with Christianity, would you make your holiness, your sheer reality real to them, striking a healthy fear in them of you, not as an end in itself, but so that they see how much they need the asbestos suit that is the righteousness of Jesus so that we can endure your coming. We can stand in your presence. And rather than cowering in fear because we're guilty and we deserve your judgment, we can, with confidence, look forward to your return because it's well with our souls and we're at peace with you because of Jesus and you're going to make all things new and we're going to live forever with you in perfect peace. Lord, make these things real to us and strengthen us to live in light of that reality so that we do care more for people's souls than we do for our own comfort in the relationship with them. 
so that we do care more about following our master and king Jesus than compromising or caving in order to maintain a relationship and not rock the boat. Lord, strengthen us, please. Help us to see that this warning is a good, loving, gracious warning from you, and yet sober us by it, Lord, and prepare us. In Jesus' name, amen. May the grace of our wonderful Lord Jesus Christ who went through the fire for us so that we wouldn't have to be with you all. Amen. Go in peace.